we're so thankful today for all that God is doing in the life of our church family and our community. And it's, man, it has already been a good morning of worship. I don't know about you, but my heart was just stirred as we sang songs of the truth and the power of who Christ is and the hope that we have in the gospel. Um, but now this morning, I want to take a few minutes and, and turn our attention to our, back to our sermon series we've been working through for some time now. Uh, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians in a series entitled Grace Changes Everything. And over the last several weeks, we've had some very intense passages. I know that. Mark knows that. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, it, it hasn't been uh, lollipops and rainbows, has it? It's, it's been some really hard stuff to walk through. But man, has it been edifying and, and challenging and uh, purifying for us. And so the issue surrounding sexual sin that was prevalent within the Corinthian church and the issue of church members engaged in lawsuits with one another were absolutely plaguing that church. And Paul summarizes all of this, all that we've been talking about the last several weeks, and he puts things very clearly in perspective in our passage this morning. And so if you have a Bible, flip with me or scroll with me uh, on your digital copy to 1 Corinthians 6. There are some paper copies about if you want one. Um, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 20. The words will also be on the screen. But uh, read along with me as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 12. We see everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. And today, our, our starting point for this whole entire passage is, is really the end, the very end of this passage. Um, it, that very last verse puts everything that has come before it in its proper context. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. What's behind all that Paul has written these last few chapters is the glory of God. You talk about stakes, that's high stakes. He, he didn't write all of this because Paul's own reputation was on the line and he's afraid about that this church's behavior is going to reflect poorly on him. He didn't write because he's worried about their reputation, although that's part of it, definitely. But at the end of the day, this is about the glory of God reflecting the grandeur and the majesty of God. You're doing all these things, you're engaged in all these things, and you're reflecting poorly. You're making little of the glory of God. 
Paul has written extensively on sin that permeated this church because the whole point of our lives, of their lives and our lives, is to be this huge billboard sign pointing to and making much of the glory of God. This is about seeing our purpose today, God's glory. So through Jesus, we've been made new so that God's glory is the central focal point of our lives. The issues that arose in, in, the, in this Corinthian church came about because they are just like us. They were just like us, normal people, very normal. And as it is so often with normal human beings, we can easily lose perspective can't we? We just can lose sight of things. Circumstances, we get tied up with family issues and work issues and all kinds of things. And and if we aren't very careful, we can very easily shift our perspective back to being man-centered, me-centered, all about me, my life is. We can even take the most spiritual, God-centered truth and make it about us. Uh, Let me just say this this morning that this is one of the reasons it's important to be a part of a church community who is who takes the practice of biblical accountability very seriously it's important that we have brothers and sisters in our lives who will walk alongside of us who will care about us enough to invest in us encourage us and even have hard conversations when they see glaring things in our lives and that would reciprocate with one another Because if we're not very attentive, slippage begins to happen. We begin to drift away from where we need to be. And we can even take the gift of God that was given to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we can make that about ourselves. We make salvation in our relationship with Jesus about the benefits we receive from it instead of about the glorification and honoring of Christ. So for the Corinthians, who lived in man, a very similar culture as our own, this inaccurate perception led to the ongoing toleration of sin within the church, and we've seen that. Uh, but look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Let's, let's read those two verses at the very beginning. Verse 12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, Paul writes these verses because there were some, some within this church who incorrectly concluded that because of the work of Christ on the cross and the forgiveness of sins, well, it didn't really matter what I do now. I'm forgiven. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't really matter what I do. That's a very dangerous assumption And it leads to what we've seen over the last couple of chapters. Uh, Sexual promiscuity and the tolerance of of extreme sinful sexual practices grew from the assumption, well, Jesus died for our sins, so does it really matter what we do? I can just ask for forgiveness and I'm fine, you know? Let me say today from, from our very start that this is incredibly irresponsible. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous way of thinking. And to minimize the work of Christ on the cross in this manner shows an extreme misunderstanding of the gospel. A central part of believing the gospel is to turn away from sin, to turn away from the things we used to be engaged in, to turn to the freedom that we have in Christ, to experience this freedom from slavery of sin. I would go so far as to say that we could see this behavior of acceptance of sinful behavior as evidence of potential unbelief. 
and potentially rejecting the gospel. That's why we see Paul advocate for the excommunication of this brother from the church, or we think a brother from the church, you know, who'd been having an affair with his stepmother. The goal there was repentance and salvation. So we enter into dangerous territory when we minimize the dangers of sin. In this case, man, they continued this line of thinking by going so far to say it doesn't matter what we do at all in this life. Theologian Harold Mayer says this about these two verses. He says, In making such claims to unrestricted freedom, some evidently used the argument that since the physical activity of eating and digesting food didn't really have any bearing on the Christian morals and one's inner spiritual life, so the other physical activities such as promiscuous sex, did not touch either on morals or spiritual life. Now, can we see the progression here? What started out as delighting in freedom in Christ strayed to rationalizing seemingly little things like being a little bit more lax in my eating habits, (laughs) things that we would say, it's it's just me eating a little more than I should have eaten, which ultimately, little by little, led to sexual promiscuity and frequenting prostitutes within the church. And all of this was just seen as a normal part of life. As you look at this passage, you see those phrases, everything is permissible for me. Everything is permissible. You see that phrase, food is for the stomach, a stomach for food. You see that they're in quotes in, in, your, in your copy of the scriptures there. They were quotes from the philosophy of the Corinthian culture. So they had been brought, this, this philosophy from the outside has been brought into the church in such a way that Christians let these philosophies influence them and then become the way to rationalize sinful actions. Christian, this morning, be careful of what you rationalize in your life, in your heart. Those small sins, and we all do this to some degree, those small sins that we're just kind of okay with, that we tolerate, that we grow comfortable with, they lead to destruction. This last week, I've been reminded by two different sources, unrelated sources. And when that happens, I'm always like, Lord, what are you trying to say in my life? Just of the seriousness that God takes both of His and our holiness. He will not tolerate sinfulness. Does He forgive it? Absolutely. Yes. But make no mistake that we enter into very dangerous territory when we grow apathetic to ongoing habitual sin. So I say it again today. Christ follower, be careful of what you rationalize in your heart. Small things. For example, well, I know it got heated and I lost my cool just a bit, but I'm just really competitive. Just how I am. Yeah, I ate more than I should have, but man, do I love curry. You just don't understand how much I love curry or a good Chinese. Uh, You know, I don't even really drink that much or that often. It was just that it was a special work night out. Well, I don't want to gossip, but I'm just sharing this about this person so you can pray for them in their situation. Or I'm just looking. I'm not actually going to act on it. Besides, if women didn't want me to look at them that way, then they wouldn't dress that way. Or, all guys look at porn, man. That's it's just normal. Besides, what I do in my own home doesn't really matter anyway. It's so easy to rationalize sin. More times than not, we don't even realize what we're rationalizing. 
but giving into sin is to turn back to the slavery that we were purchased from, that we came out of. Why would we ever want to go back to bondage? Becoming cozy with sin and tolerating it, its ongoing presence in our lives, is to make little of Christ's sacrifice for us. And we've been called to more. We've been called to live lives of freedom, not to denigrate the freedom by using it as an excuse to sin. So our goal should not be to, to glory in our freedom. Our goal is to, be, to glory in Christ and who He is, to edify His body through that. So let's just think through these statements again in verses 12 and 13, these, these quotes that Paul writes. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So let's think through this. Even when, we're, when we aren't engaging in sin, everything we do isn't always the best thing for our brothers and sisters, especially if it isn't done to bring God glory or to edify the body of Christ. Again, these were quotes from the culture, but let's think through just the proper context of the gospel this morning. Yes, in Christ, we are free to enjoy the things in this world in their proper context and in moderation, but those things are not always beneficial for us. Consider that Paul's writing this as a, as a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi even, and there was a history in the Old Testament of regulation of what men and women could eat and what they couldn't eat as Jewish people. Because of the gospel, we're now free. We know this. We're free to eat anything. So he's writing this with this history of dietary regulations. So when he quotes this phrase in verse 12, that everything is, permiss is permissible for me, that's a really big deal for him. But simply because we have freedom to do that doesn't mean that it's profitable or beneficial for us to partake in this. Paul writes that uh, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. These things that we tend to hold on to so dearly, they're temporary things. I mean, we aren't even going to eat and drink the same way in heaven. Yeah, the, the Bible talks about us feasting, but the Bible says that our bodies will be different, our natures will be different. Listen to what Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 and 17 says. They will no longer hunger. This is speaking about those who were before the throne. Throngs, people that we can't even number before the throne of God. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <laughs> It's a mystery. We won't hungry, we won't thirst, yet we're going to be near springs. Or there's going to be this massive feast that we're all going to celebrate. So gluttony won't be a thing in heaven. Think about this. Gluttony won't be trying to comfort ourselves with food, which I can so easily do, eat my emotions. You know, That's not going to be a thing. It's going to be totally different. The things of this life are temporary, so let's not value the temporary over the eternal. But food's just one small example in this. There are times and circumstances where partaking in absolutely whatever we want is just not helpful. It can actually be harmful. Think about it, think about it this way. If you've spent much time outside this week, you know that it has been cold this week. I mean, it's, there were a couple of days I went to meet uh, Paul and Mark, and I was like shivering as I walk into to have coffee with them early in the morning or out doing the school run. And, and it could be really tempting for me 
just to say, you know what? I, I forget this, man. I'm driving to the airport. I'm getting on a plane to Spain because I can do that. I have a passport in my hand. I can do that. I have the freedom to do that. And I could stay there for 90 days, man. I have the freedom to do that until the most of winter has passed me by. And then I'll come back at the end of the 90 days. I don't necessarily need anyone's permission to do that. I could just go. But just because I'm free to do that doesn't mean I need to do that or that it would be good for me to do that. There's a cost with exercising freedom. There's a cost that comes with exercising the rights you've been given. Even though I have that freedom, the timing of an adventure like that will be really inconvenient and even detrimental to my family. Uh, the cost of my, that my absence were, would require of my wife as she's looking after our kids for 90 days, my goodness, the cost of me being separated from my children and the investment that I get to have in them makes that just really unwise. It would mean me neglecting my responsibilities as an elder within this church, something I love and I have a joy for, for carrying out. But there's also the literal financial cost to it, the, the flight down there, the money it would take to live, not to mention it would probably mean me losing my job, which I love. So uh, just because I'm technically free to do that doesn't mean I should go on this journey. In the same way, just because everything in its context in a sense of moderation is free for us doesn't mean it's good for us. It's true that in Christ we have great freedom, but because of the ongoing work of sanctification, what we're free to do isn't always best. That's what verses 12 and 13 are trying to explain to us. Some things we could exercise our freedom to enjoy would actually lead to what Paul says would be mastery over us. This whole exchange really addresses the abuse of grace that many of us are prone to, toward. And some would argue that as, as, they're, doing it, as they're doing here in this, this Corinthian church, that they have grace and forgiveness through Christ. So it doesn't matter what we do. It's covered, man. It's covered. It doesn't matter. How irresponsible. What a demonstration of a misunderstanding of the gospel and the Christian life. The freedom, let's just think about this. The freedom that has been purchased for you and for me in Christ has now made it so that we are no longer our master. Christ is. That's what this passage says. If you go on the last half of 13 and beyond, it says, however, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14 says, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 15 says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one with her own body, is one in body with her? For the scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one with one spirit with him. You are meant for more than pleasure now. Pleasure was the old objective. That was the old life. That was the old end goal before Christ. Now, I, I love the way the Westminster Confession, that old document that was written to summarize our faith in 1647 was written, but it starts off, the very first sentence says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what we're made for, our purpose, to glorify God, to enjoy Him, and that's what we see here in this passage. As we look at this, Paul goes back to addressing sexual sin and the apathy this church had toward it which dominoed all the way to folks frequenting prostitutes. Your sin and my sin 
always produces a greater consequence than what we think. Sin promises little consequence, but it never delivers on that. And what we see here is that sexual sin is mysteriously in a category of its own. I say mysteriously because the whole creation and concept of sex is a mystery to us. We see in Scripture that sexual intimacy between two people isn't just this physical act. There's this spiritual component to it, to it that we have to acknowledge. You go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, you, you see this. I mean, some people scoff at this notion, but let's go back and just look at this Genesis chapter 2 passage, starting in verse 22. Uh, 22 says, Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. God made sexual intimacy to be a good, special thing. However, it's reserved for the context of the marriage relationship. We see that there. He did this so that the husband and wife could experience not just a physical union, but a spiritual oneness. Now, we have to think about why God would do that. I mean, this is the most bizarre thing. It's like so many things that God does from our human perspective. We're like, Lord, that is just bizarre. Why would you do that? Why would he do any of this? It goes back to what we see in our passage, the glory of God. God created humanity with this deep need for community. Why? We see on one level that this, this is fulfilled within the marriage relationship. And, and God did that because so, so that we can understand the way God exists. He himself exists in community. His existence is totally other. It's other from us. There's no other word but to say it's, he's just different. He's other from us. He's one God existing in three persons, which we don't really fully, we, we accept but we accept it recognizing I can't actually wrap my brain around that. There's one who. I mean, there's, there's one what in three who's, you know? That's a crude way of putting it, but what? You know, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are not just one in substance, but in every purpose, in every action, they are unified. Anything He has ever done, they have done in harmony together in perfect satisfaction together. This unity has brought amazing harmony, satisfaction for eternity. That's crazy. And that's why God gave us a way to begin to catch a glimpse of what it could be like. And He created sexual intimacy so that we could begin to have the, a notion of what it's like to be united physically and spiritually with someone else, which would ideally both lead to and reinforce being united in purpose with someone else. So to have sex with someone is to join yourself with that person. That's why Paul rebukes this church. Why are you joining your body, which is the physical representation, part of the body of Christ, the church? Why are you joining that with a prostitute? Do that. To do that is to diminish the work God has done in you. It's to dehumanize the prostitute that you're having sex with, making that person an object of pleasure. They no longer have the dignity that God has given them, being created in the image of God. They're just a, something you use for pleasure. But there's another dynamic at play as well. As a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living within you. 
That's what verse 19 says. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Christ redeemed all of us. Man, He saved you. If you've put faith in Him, He has saved you from, for uh, all of us, for Himself. This passage tells us that our whole being has been made new for God's glory. Our soul, our hearts, our personalities, our minds, our bodies, our whole being is set apart for the purpose of glorifying God. Therefore, to pursue a sinful endeavor with any part of who we are is to make little of what Christ did. Let, let me say it this way, a different angle. It is incompatible with the gospel to be engaged in a life of sexual indulgence while claiming to be a follower of Jesus. That those two things are counter to one another. I say that in the context of this passage and, and sleeping with prostitutes that was happening here, but I also say it in the context of, of lusting after others with our eyes and consuming content on television or online that's sexually explicit. Hear me say this, sexual intimacy is not a bad thing. It's not at all. It's a gift from God. But it is a gift that was given to the marriage relationship so that we might reflect both the union and oneness that Christ has with His bride, the church, as well as a picture of that Trinitarian Godhead that we talked about. Look, at, look here at verse 18 with me. It says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Paul has spoken a lot about freedom here in this passage. Uh, but sometimes having freedom is not, it means not having the ability to indulge in something, but actually the ability to flee from something. <laughs> uh, the freedom that comes when we put faith in Christ doesn't just allow us liberty from the bondage we used to be in. Now, we've been enabled by God's Spirit to actually flee from things we don't need to be a part of. William Barclay said it this way, The great fact of the Christian faith is not that it makes a man free to sin, but it makes a man free not to sin. Man, that is powerful. That means the Lord has given us a way out of the midst of temptation and sin. So if you find yourself caught in habitual sin, don't stay there. You have the freedom to run away. Take stock of the triggers that cause you to stay where you are and avoid those triggers at all costs. It might mean taking radical action to do that. Share your struggle with a believing friend who will pray for you, commit to walk alongside you. Let them do that. Give, be honest with them and vulnerable. Help them, let them keep you accountable. Commit to engage in the fight for holiness. Don't just resign to a life of habitual sin or allow yourself to grow apathetic with ongoing sin. We, we close out our time this morning where we begin. Look at verse 20 with me. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. All of this challenging, all of this re reproving and rebuking ultimately comes back to something much bigger than ourselves. Let us never forget the price that was paid for us. We were bought with a price that was costly. The very blood of Jesus was the cost. It was the price of salvation for us. And I want to invite you this morning to consider all of this again, just to, to check the status of our own hearts this morning, that we believe that Jesus took on flesh, that He lived a life in this broken world He didn't have to live. He lived it never rebelling against God. He died a death he did not have to die. 
horrifically. He, the eternal Son of God, infinite one, stepped into this finite temporal world, into a broken existence. God subjected himself to a sinful world in a way he didn't have to. But the thing that made salvation the most costly was that Jesus Christ took upon himself every bit of the wrath of God that was reserved for us. The the literal wrath of God was poured out upon him. The most horrific, unimaginably terrifying thing any of us could dare to conceive, as bad as we think that sounds, multiply that exponentially. He did it to demonstrate his love for us, to demonstrate the grandeur and the glory of God. And as he bore that wrath that was to be upon us, he died horrifically, making his blood the price for our freedom. So our response to that today should be to live for his glory. Our response to that should be to give our whole selves, mind, body, soul, everything to him. And we do that by fleeing from the sin that we need to flee from. But we're not meant to do that alone. We're meant to do that as community. We're meant to help one another. We're not called to this standard of work it out on your own. You can do it if you try hard enough. We're called to do it in the power of the Spirit that's been given to us alongside our brothers and sisters. It's meant to be a joyful experience, this Christian life. I was praying this morning for the service with some others, and we were praying for the Sunday club, and it just hit me. It was like, Lord, the thing I want to pray for right now is especially the Sunday club, that they wouldn't just be where children act the right way and they listen, they sit down, they're still... Let them have fun learning. The Christian life was meant to be this fun experience. We read this stuff and we're like, oh, this is all the things I can't do. This is for our good so that we can have the greatest sense of joy. So I just want to pose the question today, is there sin in your life that you've been minimizing or tolerating? Is there freedom that you've been exercising that has actually turned into a detriment? Man, let's bring that to the Lord today. Let's just honestly bring it before Christ. There is forgiveness. There is continued freedom. Don't let that stuff hang around in your life. Though it may promise pleasure and satisfaction, those promises are empty and short-lived. Find someone you trust and confide in them so that they'll walk alongside you as you fight for holiness. Let me ask another question. Are you you coasting in your Christian walk? Has the Spirit of God convicted your heart of having a lower view of the price of your salvation than you should? Man, I was just convicted this week about the holiness of God, how how little I thought about that. Remind your heart of the gospel. That's what we have to do, that we were bought with an imaginably precious price, cling to Christ. And then lastly, man, if you have never trusted in Jesus as the way to God, and you're hearing all this stuff, and it's like, man, these guys are crazy. Know this, that this world is broken. All of this we're saying this morning is because our world is broken. Every single one of us has freely chosen to run away from God. That's why we see the things we see in this world. And that running from God has only led to more brokenness. God offers hope to us and peace and joy and belonging and freedom. If you hear that, man, you're intrigued by it, please talk to us either during when we respond in a minute or after 
the, our gathering in the coffee and tea time. We would love to share more about that with you and pray with you. In just a minute, Paul's going to come and, and we're going to respond. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to come and receive prayer. Maybe this morning you're dealing with some kind of ailment, sickness, or you need healing. We'd love to pray uh, toward God healing you, believing God, trusting Him that His best for you. Um, but come, come and respond in that way. Maybe you want to talk about having faith in Jesus. We'd love to pray, pray with you over that. But we're also going to partake in the table this morning. And as we think about holiness, we're going to take the bread and, and break it because Christ's body was broken for us. We're going to dip the bread into the cup, realizing that uh, Christ purchased our salvation, our freedom with his blood. And so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible really lays this out clearly, that if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to do that this morning. But today, as we respond, uh, let's, let's celebrate. Let's recognize the joy we have in Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the high price that was paid for us to have life, to have freedom, to have joy. We recognize that there is nothing we could do to earn it, that we do not deserve it, which makes that joy even, even greater. So today, would you help us? Help us not to stay where we are. Help us to continually grow more and more like you. Help us not to be content with our sin. Help us to pursue and to desire and to be passionate for holiness, God, like you are holy. Help us. We can't do this on our own. Help us today. Amen.